The Water Values Podcast, Session 42. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As Joey said, I'm Dave McGimsey. Happy holidays and thanks for joining me. And thank you for spreading the word about the Water Values Podcast by word of mouth, social media, and other means. Your efforts are greatly appreciated. It's that time of year again, cold and flu season. My family, including me, have all caught one bug or another, some of us multiple bugs, and one physician friend of mine said that he can tell this is going to be a bad winter for cold and flu. So do yourself a favor and remember to wash your hands after you go to the bathroom and before you eat. Stay healthy and safe this holiday season. Speaking of which, just a note that there will not be a podcast released next week. Enjoy the holiday and maybe catch up on some of our podcasts that you might not have had a chance to listen to yet. The infirmary that is my house is a great segue into today's podcast. This is another listener-suggested topic, and I'm pleased to welcome John Oldfield of WASH Advocates onto the podcast. WASH is the acronym for the Water, Sanitation, and Hygiene Movement. This podcast is also perfect for the time of year we're in. Just listen to the conversation with John and tell me that if you have some funds you plan on donating to a charity, that a WASH organization is not a good home for your donation. In any event... John does a great job walking us through the WASH issues and explaining how they reach well beyond the obvious humanitarian aims. This is a real eye-opening podcast. With that said, let's get on with it. Open the valves, fasten your seatbelts, and here we go. Well, John, thanks very much for coming on to the Water Values Podcast. Greatly appreciate your time. Uh, Could you please tell us a little bit about your background and how you got interested in water? Well, sure. Thanks so much, Dave. Um, I've, I've had a rather uh, varied or, or colorful career. I spent uh, <laughs> half of the 90s doing uh, contracting work for uh, the U.S. Agency for International Development uh, all over Africa, primarily on democracy and governance work. And I spent a number of years in, uh, in Manhattan at an economic research firm. I, I dabbled in private equity for uh, two years. I spent six months with a, an unsuccessful uh, campaign for president of the United States uh, back 10 or so years ago. And then during this, I, I picked up safe drinking water as a hobby in 2001. I started a couple of nonprofits, uh, raising a few bucks and uh, drilling a few wells in West Africa. Uh, and then I got a bit smarter about it, and I started doing water, uh, water sanitation and hygiene uh, advocacy, wash advocacy, as a profession starting in about uh, 2007. So I've, I've been in the private sector, I've been in the government sector, I've been in the not-for-profit sector, and I, uh, I think speaking these different languages helps me in my current position. Okay, and what is your current position? Well, I run a group called WASH Advocates in Washington, D.C. WASH is a pretty well-known acronym, Water, Sanitation, and Hygiene, sort of the three legs, uh, safe drinking water, uh, proper sanitation facilities and hygiene, uh, essentially hand washing with soap, uh, that we advocate for. Uh, wash Advocates is a, is a bit of a unique uh, animal in that we are uh, all advocacy and all wash. All we do is advocacy. We don't actually directly implement projects in Africa, Asia, Latin America. Um, but, but all we do is wash. Uh, again, water, sanitation, and hygiene. Uh, we advocate for a greater awareness of the WASH challenge and its solvability. 
uh, per se, but we also advocate for greater awareness of the the important linkages, the complementarity between uh, safe drinking water and sanitation and uh, other development challenges like uh, girls in school, primary education, uh, gender equity, uh, environmental sustainability, uh, poverty alleviation writ large. So it's about, uh, at our shop, it's about WASH as its own important development objective, but also about the contributions that water and sanitation, uh, water sanitation and hygiene make towards meeting uh, other important development goals as well. Okay. Can you talk a little about the background on WASH and how it got to be this uh, larger issue? Um, you know, just, just from my perspective, it just seems there is a lot more awareness of the WASH issue in the last couple of years as contrasted with, say, the 90s and, and prior to that. Well, I, I think that's right, Dave, um, for a few reasons. You know, one, certainly there's a lot of groups um, that are uh, doing everything they can to raise awareness of the gravity of this problem and of the solutions to this problem. But um, the bad news is that you know, the issue is driving itself. Uh, water is uh, increasingly scarce um, as there are more people on the planet, as climate changes, as uh, uh, lifestyles change and people eat more water-intensive uh, meats, for example. But the world, with all the, the downside that we're hearing about water scarcity and water stress these days, uh, there are still, uh, there were only 748 million, sounds weird to say that, only 748 million people without safe drinking water, but that's down significantly from 1.1, 1.2 billion uh, just uh, 10 or so years ago when I got started in this sector. That, those numbers are being reached by uh, any number uh, of stakeholders. The international donor community is playing uh, its small piece of the puzzle, but uh, the developing countries themselves throughout Africa, throughout Asia, throughout Latin America are increasingly prioritizing uh, infrastructure investments, water sanitation and hand washing investments in their own countries. And the international donor community, uh, the United Nations agencies, um, other multilaterals, uh, bilateral aid agencies like the one in the U.S., uh, the U.S. Agency for International Development, uh, private philanthropists like the Gates Foundation and the Hilton Foundation, uh, corporate philanthropists like uh, any number of consumer goods companies and beverage companies and oil companies uh, are all making, uh, making quite a dent in this challenge. So the problem is pervasive, and we need to be looking toward every possible solution to help solve this problem. Uh, focused on you know, strengthening the capacity of people in developing countries to solve it themselves. You know, that is a terrific foundation for, I think, everything we're going to talk about. Um, and to to start off a little more, at least you've touched on the background of WASH Advocates. Could you tell us a little more about WASH Advocates and its history and, and kind of what its um, mission is? You bet, Dave. Uh, WASH Advocates is the successor organization to a group called Water Advocates. Uh, same, same vision, same mission. Water Advocates was started back in 2005 and then sunset uh, at the end of 2010. Uh, David Douglas uh, had a, a, the vision of Water Advocates back in 2004 when he, he came to the conclusion after decades in the safe drinking water sector that uh, what the world needs uh, needed at that point was not another high-quality implementing nonprofit to, to drill wells, build latrines, and so on, but rather an, an advocacy effort, an advocacy group to lift all of these boats to raise awareness of uh, the global wash challenge. 
but then do whatever it could to convert that heightened awareness into, into real action or a more financial, more technical, more human capital directed to water and sanitation efforts in the world's poorest countries and communities. And I took over the organization in uh, 2011 and uh, with the same vision, the same mission, do everything we can to increase both the amount uh, and the effectiveness of grant making and programming in the global water and sanitation space. We tend to focus on advocacy because we think that's where we're gonna get the biggest uh, leverage. Um, one can raise a million dollars and then buy a million dollars of really good wells or really good latrines. But in our advocacy efforts, we hope that they're clearly uh, much more difficult to count successes in advocacy than in direct service provision. But we hope that we're getting leverage. Uh, we hope that uh, the you know, 500 to a million, uh, 500,000 to a million dollars that we put into this sector uh, in our organization every year uh, result in tens of millions, hundreds of millions of additional dollars that otherwise would go to uh, would not go to the philanthropy space or would go to other uh, perhaps equally important but but other objectives uh, beyond the water and sanitation space. So what we are at the end of a really good day is a, sort of a pro bono intermediary uh, introducing uh, potential grant makers in the sector to uh, potential mostly nonprofit partners in the sector. Uh, and then money changes hands and great work gets done in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. And sometimes we tee up these partnerships in, uh, in coordination with the U.S. government, uh, USAID in particular, public dollar and double the size of the effort. Uh, that's one of our goals as well is, is catalyzing more public-private partnerships uh, with the U.S. government. Okay. Could you give some examples of s some instances where WASH Advocates has connected philanthropists with projects? Sure, and again, at the end of a really good day, you know, nobody's really heard of uh, WASH Advocates, and we've been fully funded by uh, private philanthropists really since our founding back in 2005. So we're active behind the scenes. Uh, one of the vehicles that we use to uh, to, to catalyze these uh, these deals is called the WASH Grant Makers Network, Water Sanitation and Hygiene Grant Makers Network which is a, essentially a peer-to-peer -peer networking group of uh, current and potential grant makers to the global wash sector, giving them a chance to, to sit around the table uh, two or three times a year to let their hair down and talk about less about best practices in grant making and uh, more about uh, worst practices in grant making, where they've, uh, where they've failed or maybe uh, promising or emerging practices in grant making. So a lot of you know, what I'll call uh, the deal flow of wash advocates uh, is prompted by conversations around that table with grant makers looking to get into the sector or looking to be more effective. And that leads uh, me and my colleagues into quiet one-on-one -on -one conversations with those current and potential grant makers and, and where we help them incorporate WASH into their grant making programs and then make those matches between them as grant makers and nonprofits uh, in the sector. Now, we're working with uh, a private philanthropist right now, um, advising them, for example, on the linkages between uh, water sanitation and hygiene and rule of law and, and democracy and governance work and how to make grants that more effectively support uh, both WASH and democracy you know, throughout Latin America and Africa. We are currently advising uh, a European energy company, its corporate foundation on the linkages between WASH and uh, primary education 
they're interested in getting more girls in school for longer periods of time, and they uh, now understand how water, uh, single-gender sanitation facilities, uh, and hand-washing with soap uh, not just accomplish WASH goals, but accomplish their education goals as well. Uh, we're also advising a, a consumer goods company on one aspect, sort of an, an, an undercapitalized aspect of WASH, which is uh, MHM, menstrual hygiene management. Um, once girls get a little bit older uh, and they need, uh, they reach puberty and they need more privacy, then the, the, the secret to success, the secret to keeping those older girls in school is to afford them the privacy they need once a month. And menstrual hygiene management is a sort of a subtopic that we focus on with that particular philanthropist as well. So this is just a fascinating discussion, John, and how this issue uh, it's not just the humanitarian aspect of it. You mentioned the three quarters of a billion people without access uh, to safe drinking water. Uh, but there's also a foreign policy um, angle to this. So it, it's really interesting how you're how you're helping connect uh, companies that that not only are in it for the humanitarian angle, but also uh, have certain you know, f- you know kind of foreign policy objectives they'd, they'd like to see uh, get out of this. Well, yeah, and, and we think if we focus on this not just as a humanitarian issue, but as a, a an issue of strategic importance to corporations, to global philanthropists, to governments, including the U.S. government around the world, that's going to make the progress that uh, we're all making in the wash sector uh, more more sustainable uh, and more scalable over the long run. The on the humanitarian side, as I've mentioned, there are uh, still 748 million people without access to safe drinking water. It's 2014, and 748 million people don't have access to 20 liters of safe drinking water per person per day. Um, it's, it's The sanitation figure, in again, in 2014, is that there were 2.5 billion people without a place to go to the bathroom, and a billion of those people uh, every day uh, defecate in the open. A combination of a lack of water and a lack of sanitation uh, lead to the preventable deaths, mostly of children under five, uh, between one and three million children under five uh, each year. But that's the gravity of the problem. Uh, what we tend to focus more on at WASH Advocates is that this is solvable. And even more than the fact that it's solvable is that this is being solved as, as we speak by governments, private philanthropists, corporations, civic groups, faith groups, nonprofits, academics, uh, all across the globe. It's, it's a little strange, but we've, we've made, as a, as a planet, a, a conscious decision to let 748 million people live without safe drinking water. And we can make, uh, and, and are well advised to make for any number of those strategic reasons, uh, to make a conscious decision to solve this problem. Now, it, we certainly focus on the humanitarian aspects and invite uh, all of your listeners to, uh, to join us uh, one way or another. Uh, in, in helping raise awareness of this issue and then converting that increased awareness into real action. But we're also inviting the U.S. government in particular to look at water and sanitation not simply as a humanitarian issue, not simply as a development challenge, but we are focusing on uh, the national intelligence estimate that was recently produced by our intelligence community on global water security. That estimate, the NIE on water, says that water is a threat uh, to our national security and will continue to be a threat over the coming years. 
and that the United States is well equipped to help respond to this issue and that we are expected by our allies across the globe to respond to this issue. So our intelligence community is advising the U.S. government and the U.S. private sector to look at water not just from a humanitarian standpoint, but to look at water as a tool of conflict prevention, to look at water as a tool of conflict resolution, you know, to look at water as a microcosm of uh, what our Secretary of State has been saying recently, which is that there's nothing foreign about foreign policy. Look, look at Ebola, for example. Certainly, we're pursuing the linkages between water and sanitation and Ebola, but we're also pursuing water and sanitation as the means to prevent the next outbreak of a disease, whether it's cholera or Ebola or, 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 or SARS or something similar to that. The challenge in many parts of the world is that there are, there are a lot of desperate people out there. And take uh, Somalia, uh, for example. I can't tell you that Somali uh, piracy is due to unsafe drinking water, but it's sort of intuitive. Desperate people do desperate things. And one of the things that our intelligence community is trying to get across is that desperate people will have their needs met, whether it's by their governments. Will their governments meet their need? Well, in Somalia, that question remains to be answered. Maybe our government and maybe our private sector will help Somalis meet their needs for safe drinking water. Or maybe it will be the Chinese uh, who are active across Africa. Or maybe it will be al-Shabaab or another terrorist network who responds more immediately, more tangibly to the needs of these desperate people. So I look at water not just from a humanitarian perspective, but as a real leadership opportunity for the U.S. Uh, in both its public and private capacities. Well, it sounds like, you know, the federal government is recognizes the importance of this issue. How has the reception by Congress been? That's an interesting question. Uh, the easy answer to your question, Dave, is that it's, it's very warm. You know, I, I've never been in a meeting on Capitol Hill where somebody from across the table has said, you know, you're working on a really bad issue there. Water's not that important. That, 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 that conversation has never taken place. The trick is, how do you move from everybody around, around the table nodding their heads in agreement that water was important to convert that awareness, to convert that energy into more financial, more technical, more human capital, better votes? And that's where uh, we... Uh, depending on the congressperson who's sitting across the table from us, we'll either talk about water and sanitation per se as its own important development objective. Oftentimes, we'll talk about the increases to economic productivity that water and sanitation provide to a family, to a community. Uh, every dollar invested in water and sanitation in developing countries provides, on average, a $4 return in decreased health care costs and increased economic productivity. Other times, if that, other times, if that member of Congress is interested in national security, we'll talk about that national intelligence estimate on global water security. Other times, that member of Congress will be interested in undernutrition in Africa, and we'll highlight the fact that 50% of undernutrition uh, across the developing world is due not to a lack of calories, but to a lack of water and sanitation. We can put all the calories all the food products into these, these bodies, uh, and then if half of them are going to be lost from preventable waterborne diarrhea, uh, that's, that's wastage on a number of fronts. Another conversation I've had recently with a member of Congress who's particularly interested in HIV AIDS is the fact that people need safe drinking water with which to consume their antiretrovirals uh, to prevent HIV from becoming full-blown AIDS. 
people with compromised immune systems need access to uh, improved sanitation facilities because they're several times more likely to suffer from opportunistic diarrheal disease. So again, up on Capitol Hill, it's a, it's a matter of not necessarily convincing them of the gravity of the problem, but showing them how it's solvable and how they can help solve the problem uh, themselves uh, in coordination with their other uh, development priorities. The human right to water right now is kind of a hot topic. How does that factor into your work? Well, it, it is a hot topic right now, and for all the right reasons. Um, th- that factors into our work a, a little bit, um, but we tend not to focus uh, overtly on that. Uh, we tend not to let ourselves get dragged into this debate about is, is water a human right or is it an economic commodity? And as, as Peter Glick of the Pacific Institute said, is water a human right or an economic commodity? Yes. And then move on. Mm-hmm. But of course it's a human right. But, but, and of course it's an economic commodity that frankly is very poorly priced uh, across the globe. But what we're, what we're looking to do with human rights language is uh, we're looking to, to advocate for the progressive realization of that human right to safe drinking water and sanitation. And we're doing everything we possibly can to uh, compress the timetables, to compress the amount of time it takes countries to progressively realize that human right uh, to wash uh, until the point when, and it will happen, until the point when every person on this planet has access to wash. Okay. And so you, you don't um, really advocate for the human right to water. You take that as a given. Uh, what about some of the other issues, uh, privatization, uh, bottled water, some of the other types of issues that you see out there? Are you taking stands on these types of issues? Well, rather than take stands on those issues, I mean, we all have our personal feelings about it, of course. We don't fight against anything. We at WASH advocates advocates fight for safe drinking water, sanitation, and hygiene for everybody on the planet by, frankly, whatever means necessary. So the bottled water debate, let people make up, make up their own minds on that. But if a bottled water company wants to help people get access to safe drinking water and sanitation – in the developing world, uh, we're going to work with them to, to give them an opportunity to be a bigger part of the solution. Um, if people have a problem with uh, with privatization, and obviously there have been some real uh, uh, screw-ups uh, with, uh, with with poorly managed privatization efforts, um, that's that, that of course is a concern. But that's not our that's not our key concern. If a government chooses to uh, delegate the direct provision of safe drinking water and sanitation to its people to a private entity, uh, we have no problem per se with that. But we do very strongly, uh, personally and institutionally, believe that uh, that process has to be led, has to be managed effectively by the public sector, uh, just because of the fundamental nature of water and sanitation. This isn't even energy as important as that is. This is literally a life and death situation for hundreds of millions of people around the world it's a key part of the social contract, the relationship between people and their governments. So we do believe that the public sector needs to lead on this issue, but we also support the decision that they make in some cases to, uh, to delegate as long as they can manage that uh, relationship, that contract uh, effectively. Sure. And earlier you mentioned uh, in specific Africa and Latin America. What, what are the geographical areas around the globe that, uh, need the most help in this area? 
It's a, it's a well-phrased question. Uh, the, the raw numbers are certainly in China and India, uh, for all the obvious reasons, just because of the number of people in China and India. But as far as the, the people that need the most help, I would suggest that uh, Sub-Saharan Africa is a pretty good place to start. Um, and, and, and almost every country in Sub-Saharan Africa is uh, far behind the Sanitation Millennium Development Goal uh, that, that uh, the whole world has set out. Um, I, I'd suggest that there were also uh, massive and uh, overlooked pockets of what I'll call wash poverty in uh, Central America. Uh, there are massive pockets of wash poverty in South America, you know, Bolivia and Ecuador, for example, and of course, uh, places like Haiti that continue to suffer from uh, cholera, uh, mostly as a result of poor uh, water and sanitation infrastructure. Uh, moving back out to Asia, uh, certainly the needs are, are great, uh, both in raw numbers and proportionally in India. Uh, the needs are very high in places like uh, Bangladesh. Uh, and other parts of South and Southeast Asia, uh, Cambodia, Vietnam, and so on. But I, I, I think that if I had my druthers, uh, and, and occasionally we do, um, we're going to do what we can to direct uh, both public and private support for WASH to Sub-Saharan Africa. Okay. Uh, again, you, you, you mentioned earlier, hey, this is 2014, and we are dealing, we're still dealing with this problem. What about... North America, are you seeing any instances where uh, wash issues arise in the United States or Canada or, you know, Mexico? Well, absolutely. Uh, We don't get involved in the domestic, sort of the North American situation at all, at least Canada and the U.S. There are a lot of other uh, really, really smart people, really smart organizations working on that. But clearly, it's it's a challenge in the United States. Uh, we're facing a several hundred billion dollar, maybe a trillion dollar infrastructure financing gap in water and wastewater alone uh, over the next 20, 25 years. Uh, but with very few instances, which is really why we focus on the developing world, we, we don't have people dying from preventable waterborne diseases in this country, in the United States. Um, and if, if every human life is equal, uh, and, we, and we strongly believe that it is, uh, we're going to get the biggest bang for our buck for the, the time that we spend on this issue, uh, working in Africa, working in Latin America, working in Asia, um, and, and frankly trying to replicate, even though it's not perfect here, but trying to get as close as we can to the universal coverage of water and sanitation that we enjoy here. Terrific. Well, John, you have been absolutely fantastic talking with us about this very important issue. And to the extent people want to find out more about you and WASH advocates in this issue, where can they go to do that? Well, I, I, I direct uh, people first and foremost to uh, our website, which is uh, quite simply uh, WASH, W-A-S-H, advocates.org. And we've done due diligence on, uh, on a couple hundred uh, implementing nonprofits in the sector. So if, if people are interested in learning more about advocacy, come to our website. If people are interested in learning more about uh, the issue uh, writ large, uh, we've got a lot of resources at, at washadvocates.org. If people are interested in writing a check, um, again, Wash Advocates is, is fully funded by a set of private philanthropists. So I'd suggest that uh, you do some research on some of the leading U.S. nonprofits in the sector. Uh, Water for People comes to mind, water.org. Uh, care, 
um, as, as maybe three that folks might look at. And full disclosure, uh, we have people from those organizations um, on our advisory council as well. But they do some of the most, uh, some of the most meaningful, some of the most transformative work in the world uh, in, in the WASH sector. Uh, people are well advised to look at, at uh, UNICEF as a part of the United Nations. Uh, they're well advised to look at uh, Catholic Relief Services and World Vision if you're looking for a faith-based organization. But there's a lot of opportunities to have an impact. Terrific. And that's a great idea, especially at this time of year, to make uh, a tax-deductible contribution uh, to one of these important organizations. So, John, again, I just wanted to thank you very much. Uh, very educational, very informative um, talk you've, we've had today. So thanks, thanks again. Thank you, Dave. It's been a pleasure. You betcha. All right. Bye, John. Well, I hope you liked that conversation with John Oldfield of Wash Advocates. Terrific, well-spoken, and thoughtful guy. I really enjoyed speaking with him. A few takeaways. First is the breadth of WASH issues, from simple and heartbreaking humanitarian aims to facilitating foreign policy objectives. The WASH issues present a way to really boost the West's and the U.S.'s in particular image abroad, all while taking care of people in desperate need of our help. I think John had a very good point when talking about Somalia that people are going to find a way to have their basic needs met. If their government won't or can't do it, they will turn to increasingly desperate measures. Another takeaway is the varied subtopics of the WASH issues. Uh, John explained how he's working with several companies, foundations, and private philanthropists on girls' education issues, menstrual hygiene management, foreign policy objectives like supporting democracy, and other issues. So there's, there's an issue for everyone here uh, in, in the WASH space. Well, you can check out the show notes for this session at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 42. Leave a comment on the show notes or email me at david at thewatervalues.com. You can also tweet at me at DTM1993, and you can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag watervalues. And don't forget to rate and please review the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and other podcast directories. And please don't forget to tell your friends and colleagues about the podcast and sign up for the Water Values newsletter, which can be done at thewatervalues.com. Remember, there's no podcast next week, but I'll be back in the week between Christmas and New Year's with a short podcast that wraps up 2014 and talks about what we've learned on the Water Values podcast this year. Until then, happy holidays to each of you from the Water Values podcast, and please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Thank you for tuning into the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Colorado and Indiana, and this podcast does not establish an attorney-client relationship with you or anyone else. And information in this podcast should not be considered legal advice. Further, this podcast is not a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer who finds water issues interesting and who believes greater public education about water issues is necessary. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.